0: Hi, everyone. Uh, Welcome back to another episode of Chicana Code Switchers. Uh, My name is Patricia. I'm one of the co-hosts for the podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. And Ariana here as well, the second co-host. Welcome.
0: For a recap, this is the part two of um, part two-part series um, for the episode, Critical Reflections of Latinas in Elite Spaces. Um, What happened, again, if you haven't listened to it, um, please refer back to the first episode. Um, What happened was, uh, for those of you, um, we had some issues with recording, so our second part uh, was, it disappeared uh, through our app. And so um, we have Donna and Erica, again, um, thankful that we were able to come back together um, to talk about more of the Second part of the discussion that we had, um, in our first part, we talked a lot about our family dynamics, a lot about social justice, you know, how does social justice look like in um, in our family, and especially now that we're going to higher ed and getting all these experiences, It's it's it was interesting to see you now our take. Um, in the second part, we're going to discuss more about law school um, from their perspective, from our guest perspective, and also just have some uh, some questions um Ariana and i will that will ask throughout the episode, so we're gonna first get started, so Ariana go ahead,
1: yeah, so to reintroduce our guest uh it, they are Donna and Erica, and Donna is now um I guess you've c- completed your third year at Harvard Law School, and Erica's entering her third year um of law school at Harvard Law School as well. Um, we, Like Patricia said, we will be continuing the conversation where we left off. Um, excited to to have you both again here. So please, you know, say hello to our audience, either one of you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks, Adriana. Thanks, <laughs>
0: so we're all coming back together um in the month of may uh, two over two months now into COVID 19 and from our last conversation back in march uh we all started uh, we ended the episode talking a lot about the structure of uh, law school and I, I i'm gonna find it very interesting how you all think about how even like the um the field in law and you will both as law students, how your program and your transition, cause for uh, Donna, you are now a graduate um, and just experiencing coming into the job market in this way. Um, could you all like talk to us about what your experience has been or what are some insights that you've that you've gained so far from what has happened and developed as the pandemic keeps evolving?
3: yeah so i can give um a little bit of the perspective of someone who technically graduates in eight days um and just sort of the ways that the pandemic has just practically had an impact on the um the ability of a lot of us to start our jobs I think the unfortunate reality is that um, a lot of us will not be starting our full-time employment this year. Um, it's sort of those announcements have come from public interest jobs and you know big law firm jobs that we will not be, many of us, perhaps most of us will not be starting this year, um, which raises a lot of, um, concerns obviously for students who were trying to who are now trying to figure out how they're going to financially support themselves and perhaps their families until their full-time job starts um now that's sort of a question for everyone around the globe right now right is just finances and how do I financially support myself so it's not something unique to law students um but, you know, that sort of is um, the world that a lot of us are, are navigating. I think, um, you know, I've done a lot of work in the past couple of months around the bar exam and figuring out, you know, how do we now think about even just licensing for attorneys, right? Because you would need that a lot of times to start your job or you need it to happen pretty quickly thereafter you start your job um and what that means for folks that are trying to get access to legal services during a pandemic if there's just going to be less lawyers um available on the market so um a lot of sort of unknown going on right now um you know even though we've sort of been told that we will not start our jobs this year a lot of us sort of haven't been given concrete start dates so we don't really know when we will start so um, you know, it's obviously these are sort of surreal times and incredibly um unprecedented, at least in sort of my young life. But um it's a lot of a lot of questions moving mm-hmm. forward that still don't have answers.
2: Mm-hmm. And I'll say um from my perspective as someone who's going into my last year of law school, um at Harvard they've been saying um Sort of to prepare for the possibility of being online, to prepare, 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 um, but not really giving us any assurances about what's actually going to happen, so that we can actually prepare. They're just telling us to prepare, but what for? I don't really know. Um, <laughs> and so I think that like it's 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 hard to plan. Um, a lot of universities are coming out and saying they're going to be only online. Other, other universities are saying they're going to do some sort of hybrid model. Um, Either way, I'm intending to go home and stay home, I think, for most of next year, if not all of it. Uh, mostly because I don't think that the law school experience will be anywhere um, where it was before. I think that the law school is going to be scrambling to put together something in person. Uh, but it's going to be, uh, I, I think it's going to be really complicated, restricted, Um, I don't think it's going to be worth, um, coming back to campus for it. And I think that the only way they're going to put it together is so that they don't have to dramatically reduce tuition. Mm -hmm. They're basically, I think, just throwing it at us so that, um, so that, you know, they're not literally just Zoom University. Um, and I, and sort of what I'm picturing in like a hybrid model where they're inviting people to come back to campus is, um classrooms with students in person and potentially professors zooming in still um and I don't know if that's actually what would happen but that's sort of what I'm picturing in my mind especially when I think about how all of our professors are generally pretty elderly um and Mm -hmm. um I don't know I think I'm also have a lot of concerns about staff and um how our cafeteria and our custodial workers are going to be um not adequately prepared is something we're going to have to fight for to get them um you know protections just like we were doing towards the end of the semester uh when this was all happening obviously it'd be great if there were people on campus then that there was employment for our cafeteria and custodial workers but that you know that employment if it it becomes lethal if we don't have the protection um it, I I don't trust Harvard to provide that protection so hmm. I don't know I have a lot of thoughts about next year, but ultimately, I think I'm going to end up staying home. Yeah. Yeah, And then
0: following along the lines, both of you have been um, present and especially I've seen Donna, you writing some pieces about um, how do we advocate for um, upcoming graduates and potentially future graduates. So Donna, could you talk about Um, some of the writing pieces that you've, that you've written um, about this issue?
3: Yeah. So um, after a lot of universities decided to go remote in March, um, you know, everyone's sort of lives were appended. There were a lot of uncertainties. People were left without housing when they were kicked off of university housing. Um, There were just so like a number of different ways that the pandemic and also the university's handling of the pandemic, um, has impacted students and disproportionately impacted low-income students, students of color, um, students whose homes are abroad and couldn't Mm -hmm. travel home or were barred from traveling back home. Um, so it created a lot of issues. And so, um, you know, as someone who, um, is now almost graduating from law school, the, the next thing on everyone's mind is studying for the bar exam. Now the bar exam um, is an exam that is incredibly tolling on folks. You know, I started studying on Monday and it's something that takes, you know, all day, seven days a week, from now until your test day, you know, it's not something that you can kind of, you know, half ass or take a lot of breaks from because there is so much material to know for that test. So, you know, uh,
2: I was doing a lot of work
3: around having um, different bars or organizations across the nation. So, for me specifically, you know, I'm taking the California bar, but we kind of had a national movement for something called diploma privilege, which was, you know, upon graduation from law school, you would be given a license to practice law instead of having to take, you know, the bar exam. And you know, perhaps there could be other requirements, supervised practice or something. But trying to have folks. During a pandemic, sit and study all day, every day for this exam um, just didn't seem feasible. Um, there was also just the second issue of, you know, the bar exam happens in like massive convention centers with thousands of people in them. So it's sort of like, um, like, how, how are we going to do that in the next um, few months? So it just didn't seem like it was going to be a smart idea. Um, so I did a lot of pieces around that. I wrote a piece around, you know, how the bar exam, you know, I personally don't think it measures competency, but um, even if you sort of went along this thought thought exercise, there's no evidence anyway that the bar exam measures competency. So why people say it does is beyond me. Um, well, I mean, I have my own ideas. It's It's a massive business, actually, to... Um, study for and take the bar exam that generates millions of dollars of revenue every year. But um, so, anyway, so I was doing a lot of work around that. Um, and I know that there were a lot of other students that were advocating in a number of different ways, both for law students and, as Erika mentioned, for staff members, um, for other folks affiliated with the university. So, I mean, I think what was um, sort of an unfortunate necessity, but that like, I guess was, I don't know, I, I, I like to see was there was a lot of advocacy that came out of universities booting people off campus. Um, so, you know, I think like, as folks were trying to to finish their law school semester, they didn't really have that much time to be focusing on their classes and attending their lectures, right? Because there were very real problems that needed urgent, um, and critical solutions. And so folks are putting a lot of energy into that. Um, now, are law schools, do law schools care about that? Do professors care that you didn't have that much time to dedicate to their classes? I don't know. We'll see how grades and gradings turn out for this semester. Um, but yeah, so there's just a lot, a lot going on the past few months.
2: I, so after. COVID-19 started becoming a real big thing in the States and mid-March happened and they sent us home. Um, I also, I, mean, I got, uh, I was living in the dorms and I had to find new housing. Luckily, um, a good friend of mine let me stay at her place. So that was like a relatively quick fix. Um, but the two big things that I ended up focusing on were um, one, uh, joining in on the student efforts to try to support custodial and cafeteria workers, um, which ended up being somewhat successful in that Mm -hmm. one of the big demands the unions had um, to continue uh, productions and pay until the end of May. Um, That ended up uh, happening. Although I think my fear then between March and May was um, at Hopkins Mile on the Matter, the university gave a similar promise and then backtracked on that promise, um, like a month or two into it, when people had already um, been relying on that income to come in until the end of May. And that gave me a lot of anxiety that Harvard might do something similar. And even even with a guarantee for paying protections until the end of May, um, the other thing that gives me a lot of anxiety about COVID-19 and the staff at the law school is there's inevitably going to be huge layoffs um coming uh, i mean right away um especially if we're not going to see a lot of students coming back in the fall there's always layoffs that tend to happen in the summer um but that's going to be really exacerbated by the fact that we're no longer having on-campus summer programs um and then potentially you know, a very empty campus in the fall. And I think the university doesn't have any problem with this because they're going to fire everybody and then they're going to rehire new staff whenever we're ready to come back. Mm-hmm. But we're going to lose so many valuable members of our community. I'm thinking about a lot of our like custodial and cafeteria workers have been working here for decades, like literally two or three decades. Um, and they're, and, and I'm really anxious that they're all going to lose their, their jobs. Um, and then new people will be hired back, um, when it's time to come back. But we'll be, we'll have lost so many people of this community that Harvard just does not care about because they're not faculty and professors. But for me, it's a huge part of the, of the HLS campus that we potentially going to lose. And that scares me a lot. Um, and, um, the other thing that I was, Sort of paying attention to was this idea of credit fail grading which we did get at um hls but um not without a lot of student advocacy on that end as well and uh most of my professors were supportive of it i did have two professors who were making a lot of like sort of snide joking remarks about how students just want to slack off and that's the reason why they wanted um, credit uh, fail grading which to me is just I just i don't even I can't even wrap my head around professors who say things like that when they know that So especially at a place like Harvard, some people are coming home to literal mansions, (laughs) coming home to, you know, the most ideal environments to study. And some people are coming home to sharing a bedroom with like 10 people who are coming home to spotty internet connection or no internet connection, who are coming home to, um, you know, families who have everyone has lost their job. And now they're the only person who could potentially um, make some sort of earning to care for like a whole entire family. They're, it's just the discrepancy in what we're coming home to, or if you even have a home to come home to, mm-hmm. like it's just so huge. I could not possibly imagine having online education um, that isn't credit fail. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, that has been really, really, I mean, it shouldn't be shocking at this point, but it was really upsetting to see some of my Harvard um, peers uh, super upset at this switch to credit fail grading.
1: I mean, it's just been... um, It's just crazy how, you know, how suddenly all of this changed everything and also exposed a lot of, you know... Like you mentioned, a lot of uh, discrepancy. uh, um, I guess across the board, it was just assumed that people could go home, right? And that they could just you know, help them pack and leave. But some people like what you mentioned, Donna, earlier, is like some people are international students, and they can't leave the country because they're stuck here. And uh, the custodial workers, you know, relying on on working at Harvard or working at, you know, on their jobs to sustain their family. And, and this break, or what seemed to be a short break, is now being extended. And that's going to definitely have an impact, long-lasting impact, not just on the the staff, but the students themselves on the experiences that they may or may not have. And like you said, um, Erica, like, um, what's, you know, is it even worth it going back to campus, right, Um, if everything's going to be online? Um, So I guess, like, would it be possible to, um, like, talk about how, the classroom exercises don't translate in real life um, practical examples.
0: Like, I think, and and by that question, it's, like, also interesting how you all, like, and, and when it comes to the classroom, um, I'm pretty sure that this happens across all fields, where reading a bunch of, you know, different scenarios and all these things, but when it comes down to, in in our face where our field must have to act or do something about things. They always default to the status quo. They always default to their level of comfort. They don't actually go out to solve any of these problems. If anything, they they create more because of their, either their lack of action or the action that they ended up taking.
3: Yeah. I mean, I can start. that that's a big question. I mean, I think, so I'll start off by saying, I think I've gotten a lot of messages, and I think Erica said this too earlier, from folks being like, is it worth me going back? Like, should I start law school this fall? Should I defer? Should I take some sort of leave or gap because everything is uncertain? Or my school's going to be in person and I don't feel comfortable? Or um, it's going to be remote and is that even good for my learning? Um, I mean... I never, I can never specifically answer that for any one person, I guess, but I can say this: at least for me, um, the classroom experience at law school wasn't something that I enjoyed, and I don't even think it was helpful for one, the bar exam, and two, for actually being a practicing attorney. Um, and we had talked about this a little bit in our last session, but. You know, the, the law school classroom is, it seems first and foremost, designed to like weed people out of law school. It, it very much feels like this hazing environment where, you know, you're answering a set of questions based off of the hypothetical from a professor in front of nearly 100 other people and your professor is pressing you and pressing you and pressing you. And they sort of do this under this guise of, like, we're teaching you to think like a lawyer. Um, And now that I'm uh, studying for the bar exam, the first thing that they tell you is, like, throw all of that out. Like, I don't know, like, whatever, thinking like a lawyer meant for your law school, throw it out. Because we're just going to learn all the rules for your state. And, like, that's what we need to learn. And now that I've been studying for, what, like, day three today, it's like all these rules that I didn't even learn in law school. I was not like, why did I go to law school? But anyway, <laughs> um, so, it, you know, and then you take all of that knowledge and you um, think about how you can apply that to your practice. And it's it's not even transferable. I mean, it's not like you're doing these hypothetical exercises in your life. It's not that you need to know each and every rule across whatever number of subjects to practice law. So it's just hard to see how everything fits. And it just sort of seems like it's this institution, law school specifically, and then the bar separately. It's something that is used to keep folks out, folks that don't meet whatever expectation, threshold, means of uh, presentation, whatever, keep them out. Unfortunately, that translates to low-income students, folks of color immigrant students, right, who aren't sort of um, used to this or can sort of navigate this. Um, So then to sort of your question, um, Patricia, you know, it's not that law school is training folks to respond to the gross inequities of our country or our world. That's not what it's training you to do. Um, it's not training you to think critically about power and structure because law school is an institution. The legal profession is very much an institution. The courts are an institution. Um, so it's not training you to challenge those, at least not explicitly. And I think when you go to law school, you have to find the spaces, find the people, fight for those spaces, fight for some sort of carve out to even be able to start thinking very critically. So now that we are in the midst of this pandemic that has brought so many problems with this country to light, um, you can't really say that your law school career taught you to respond to these issues it didn't teach you how do i make the world better what does equity me? how do i make this better? it didn't teach you that mm-hmm. so um you know you're sort of leaning on community your teachings from your community members and the peers that you trusted at law school to figure out how do we fight back how do we make the changes that we want to see and i can't give harvard really any credit for doing that
2: mm-hmm. So I'll respond to something, some of the questions about, um, you know, whether or not to come back. was going through my mind. Um, Donna and I both don't really care for the class environment at uh, the law school. So, I mean, I'll be honest, the idea of uh, being able to log into class remotely. I actually am a big <laughs> fan of that. <laughs> um, and. Um, I, I like being able to attend class in bed uh, with my pajamas and things like that. And and I never really went to class anyways, um, (laughs) especially in the bigger classes. So that I don't mind so much. What I do think is, is lost though, a couple of things, um, first and foremost, the clinical environment, um, Mm -hmm. for me the the biggest source of learning um, at Harvard has has always been um, the hands on environment, uh, working with clients and in, in clinics, um, and that is definitely uh, greatly reduced um, by this environment. It still exists, I think, depending on the clinic that you are a part of and that you can get into um at your school whatever programs they offer i think um there are varying degrees of still getting law students to stay involved um there's a lot of need for different like legal research and writing and like COVID 19 response work that's going on which is really great um but i just it's still not the same level of education that you would get if it was in person and you were able to um work in person. I mean, that said, maybe there's also a benefit to that because you would be learning how to represent clients virtually, mm-hmm. which might be a bit of a norm, you know, for the next however long we, we're we in this. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: so maybe that's also a pro. I don't know. Up to you. Um, but a couple other things. Another thing that I wanted to mention is, especially for first years coming in, um, if you're starting your 1L year, I personally would defer because um, I think you're going to lose a lot of that first year support network that you're that you find, um, and yeah, you know maybe I know some people didn't find their support network in the first year; they found it in their second year or the third year even. Um, but I'll just say, for me personally, finding the support network my first year was absolutely necessary it was invaluable i would have done so poorly in law school if i hadn't found a support network my first year um and um i think some people would say it's it's not just for the emotional and the mental support although for me that was a big part of it because law school is tough it's a and i don't just mean academically i mean mentally it's tough um it's draining. Um, and, Not just that, but also professionally law, unfortunately, I think has a lot to do with, who you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and both of my summer jobs, I think um, I think I was really aided in deciding where to apply and in getting the offers based off of who I knew coming into the interview. Um, and I think that's going to be a lot harder to build those connections online, um, like significantly harder. And it's also going to be harder, I think, to build connections with, um, professors and, and, and other sort of more professional relationships. Um, so I, I think that's something to be conscious of. A lot of my law school experience was not going to class, but it was spending time with my friends, which was. Super useful to me in so many ways. It was um, going to clinic, which I said is the biggest learning learning experience I've had at, at Harvard. Um, going to uh, events, just like stopping by different random ones, different seeing different speakers, um, going to different um, conferences, things like that. Um, that's where that's where I met Ariana. <laughs> and so um, things like that, I think, um, have a big impact um, on the educational experience, um, that I think you're going to lose out on if it's, if it's virtual. Um, but, but I wouldn't judge people who do decide to do it virtual because I know that, you know, maybe you don't have that level of flexibility where you can postpone. Um, oh yeah. And the one last thing I wanted to mention about postponing or not is the market. I think that Mm -hmm. you might want to think about postponing if, for nothing else, just to let the mar- the market recover a little bit longer before yeah. you start. Um, I don't think it'll be completely recovered by the time you start, if, even if you're starting right now. But at least there will be a little bit more time between when this has hit and when you're entering and looking for a job. Yeah,
3: Erika, I was going to add that, that last point as well. I think you know it's not to be honest with you it's not like harvard was super helpful for folks that were trying to get public interest jobs anyway okay like there weren't a lot of resources and investment in you finding that job of your dreams through harvard even when we were still on campus in person um, though I can imagine that, you know, if you need some level of support or resources, public interest or private interest, you know, you're you're not going to really get that while school is still remote, one, and you're not going to get it in this sort of economic condition anyway. So maybe if that is something that um, is scary to you or you really want that sort of some level of job security, then now probably is not the time to go to law school. Um, I will also say, I mean, I can imagine that if you're kind of the person who, you know, I know what I want to do after law school, I'm going to law school to kind of like, get it over with because I know that I need the JD but I have like bigger plans and stuff then maybe it's totally fine to start your law school career right now because you sort of just need that JD and you're not as invested in like exploring different topics or building different communities or getting involved with your school so like Erika and like Erika said I mean I think you know there's different reasons why people go to law school and what they're looking for and so whether or not to go now or defer is really something that each individual has to decide and there's sort of pros and cons to each. But also, like Erika said, you know, I was someone that did not like going to class. So for me and basically all my friends, the idea of just doing virtual law school instead of (laughs) in-person law school is nice.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I just, as the second part said, if you literally just want to get law school over with, like you Mm -hmm. literally just want to get that diploma and that is the only thing you want, you don't care for anything else then I guess now's the time to go. Because I like I said, I don't work. So, you know, if I was somebody who didn't do a clinic and was only enrolled in class, then it's basically like I'm not even going to law school right now. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nothing yeah. that you really have to do. Yeah. So I mean now's the time, I guess, if you if you really just want to get it over with and you don't want to engage in any of the other things that law school might have to offer you. Yeah. Um or I'll, I'll say like for me personally like I, I do feel that that vibe, that spirit of just like getting over with, but I also think there was a lot that I've gained from the in-person experience, the clinics and the support networks and the professional networks and everything like that. So I would just consider that.
0: And I think it's it's gonna be difficult to make whatever decision a lot of students are now having with either going or not going or keeping um, their enrollment for, for graduate school, just because you can hear all this advice from a bunch of different students telling you their perspective, but it's really hard to know what the outcome will be unless you do it. And especially coming in with less connections, you know, it would be really difficult to see how each program is going to, you know, adapt to this new changes just because they don't even know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, and then what's the alternative right like if you were counting on this degree to just even if it's useless and it does nothing for you personally and your soul um it the degree could do something to make you go to the next step or or things mm-hmm. like that but it's it's really hard to tell um what's going to happen for a lot of graduate students um upcoming this next academic year mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really hard to tell. Um, we we have no idea what's going to happen next year. I I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, in an ideal world, that wasn't completely like these universities weren't just giant corporations. Then we would have a way to um, do education in a way that makes sense from home. Um, but I have a feeling that the university is really going to push for some sort of hybrid in-person model literally just they can charge full price tuition and justify it um so i don't know honestly i'm more not thrilled about a hybrid model because i have no idea how i'll be able to do a class which is like half people are online and half people are in person,
1: mm-hmm. which I don't
2: even know if we're considering that, but I just I have no idea how that would work. I feel like it would go really poorly. Um, because the people online would just sort of get lost mm-hmm. and yeah. not be able to be there.
3: It got to that point. I think some schools are considering that hybrid model where Essentially, if you're like if you're immunocompromised, or if you live with folks that are immunocompromised, or if you just for whatever reason feel uncomfortable going to an in-person class, you'll have the option to join online. But you'll also have the option to go in person. It it's unclear how it's going to split. Who's going to show up in person? Who's going to show up on Zoom? You know, is it going to be the same price for everybody? How is it going to work? No one knows anything. Like, there's no answers. But they are actually. Like, that's what they're considering. And I think to your point, Eddie, guys, just because you want to be able to charge full tuition. So yeah. these like, <laughs> weird creative ways to be able to do that.
2: I mean, I took a class this last semester where one of our – we had three professors, and one of them was online. And they hooked it up to where – um this is when back when it was still in person where we were all in the classroom and one professor would just randomly say things every now and then. They hooked up him up like to a speaker to the room and it was like like a ghost would just say something. <laughs> like all of us would just sort of be startled. We're like, Oh my god. Like we kept forgetting that he existed because it's just how else would you know he exists except for randomly sometimes he would say things and I just, I think about that experience uh, about, you know, the possibility of a hybrid model. I just, I don't think it would work. I, we'll see if, what happens at the end of the day. I'm just trying to get this degree so I will sign up for it, I guess. But um, I I do think that, I mean, like in the greater scheme of things, I, it's okay. Like I try to keep perspective in this. Um, I'm healthy. My family is healthy. We don't have any, really really significant economic concerns right now so i tried to stay positive um and not get too much anxiety over in the quality of the education i'm receiving um that sort of thing although definitely that is an important topic um yeah i don't know mm-hmm.
0: and it, it's talking to a lot of the points that we've had before where we're talking about a lot of these programs a lot of these institutional services and even people are still trying to make the most out of all these little things um just to keep their position um and just to justify them keep continuing i mean um we were looking at one of a tweet um where they were saying like really they haven't really a lot of institutions haven't really announced that anything just because they still want to you know hold first years or incoming students money um and going back to that same comment you know that Erika mentioned it's an enterprise you know it's a business it's a it's a institution where they still want to stay relevant and say that there's something you know a value to but the question of the value of these degrees have been put up into question not so long ago and even more so now because at the end there's so much unemployment right now from recent graduates at all levels that you really question like is there even a point right now because the economy is really like there's no there's hiring freezes there's layoffs um what is the point of getting this degree if a lot of the people who are getting hurt are minoritized communities where they're getting,
2: you know, the short end of everything. That is definitely, oh my gosh. I saw statistics not too long ago. They said that like something like 50% of Latino households in the United States have either lost a job or been like significantly economically impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. Like I, I, I'll just be honest. I was not super worried about finding a job after I graduated because I figured, you know, um, I'm graduating from law school. I'm graduating from Harvard Law School. I should be able to find a job, right? Um, Although I'll say, even before all this happened, I think I don't think that's necessarily true. I think a lot of people have struggled to find jobs even before COVID nineteen, even as Harvard Law graduates. but especially now I am more worried than I was before. So I think I'm to sort of answer that anxiety within myself. um, I am trying to do things to sort of pretty up my resume a little bit more, I guess. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Trying to learn more languages, trying to, Maybe do a, a clerk- i mean I was already thinking about doing a clerkship um but now I'm thinking more like I want to do a clerkship because it looks good on your resume um just briefly, a clerkship is when you go work for a judge after you graduate and you basically do all their like legal research and writing um I don't think it's the most exciting thing in the world, because i I'm not um well, I guess I shouldn't say that on this podcast.
3: <laughs>
2: I'm <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it over to Donna
3: <laughs> um i mean it's it's a little bit of a hard question i think. Um, for folks in law school and that are now graduating law school, it's really easy to be, um, really pessimistic and everyone's like, oh shit, like, why did I spend all this money? Um, as a side note, as a requirement to you receiving your degree or graduating or whatever, you have to do like your, um financial services like exit survey thing so that the school could show you like what's your debt what are your payments going to be how much interest has accrued like all of us have to do it in order to graduate so we're like literally you know it's like March or April right when this pandemic is just hitting everyone so hard and they're like, oh, by the way, like, you, they send, like, daily emails being like, please look at your loan balance. Please look at your bo- loan balance. And, like, me and all of my friends are just like, how dare they? Like, you know, mm-hmm. these are the sort of, like, this is the world we're living in. And they just, like, want us to, they want to make sure that we know what our loan is and what our payments are going to be and when we may need to start paying these payments. Um, so, you know, it's just another reminder that, like, the school and, frankly, the the federal government does not care about a multitude of, um, people. Um, but anyway, I mean, it's, so it's easy to be really pessimistic, um, about what the future holds for law students and who would have been our, um, clients, right? I think I... I make myself feel a little bit better because the one thing that this pandemic has done, um, at least what I've seen in the U.S., is really underscored and highlighted all the ways that our system is not designed to help those in need. Um, it's showed us the disproportionate impact, and it got to your earlier point, like the numbers and the stats are there. and. Um, in your face, unless you you know don't want to know them, um, that shows the disparate impact of issues on different communities. Um, so I'm hoping that this is an opportunity for change and radical change and rethinking and redesigning systems and structures. And, you know, I have a law degree that I've been told is supposed to be somewhat useful in this process. I don't know. I'm not totally convinced of it, but I'm hoping that it is somehow. Um, so there, there's that. And I think for folks that are thinking about going to law school or aren't sure if they should still go to law school, you know, just at the back of your mind, remember that this is a truly interesting, unique time, especially for social change and social justice. Now, you have to answer the question for you of whether a law degree is going to help you or be valuable in achieving the social, and social change. But it is um, it's an interesting time.
2: Uh-huh. Um, let me just put a little asterisk there circle back. Obviously. I'm very excited to do a clerkship with a judge. <laughs> 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 <That> I, <laughs> I am very excited to do a clerkship. <laughs> the thing that I wanted to say that I did not explain well is that, um there are certain clerkship opportunities that people take literally just for the prestige and just to look well on their resume and they work for judges that they have huge um, Mm -hmm. ideological differences with because it looks great on your resume and that was sort of what i was like "Hmm, maybe i'll do this just to help get a le- leg up in the, uh, like, job market. And that was sort of what was making me kind of uncomfortable. But I am I do think clerkships are a great opportunity. <laughs> 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 so, let, me, let me also, um, I was going to say something real quick to what Donna said, and now I'm forgetting it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About this being um, an opportunity, just, like, thinking about being a lawyer right now. Um, Both Donna and I are part of the Harvard Legal Aid Bureau um, and both of us are also in the family law practice. Um, So we do a lot of presentations. Well, Donna formerly, she's now left, Um, but we did a lot of presentations of um, divorces, child custodies, um, things like that. And uh, I have COVID-19 has Some people were like, oh, well, now you're virtual. You have so much less work. And I'm like, no, not at all. COVID-19 increased my workload by like double because... um, you know, families are feeling the stress of what's going on. Um, And people make jokes about, oh, divorces are going to go up now because people are quarantined together. Um, And I think, you know, there's some sort of comedy about that. Um, But it's also very, very real that Mm -hmm. the rates of DV are skyrocketing right now. Um, That, you know, families are having to make these horrible decisions these like really really horrible decisions about what do you do when you have children going back and forth between two households and those Mm -hmm. two households are able to um you know protect themselves different degrees let's say you have one household with a essential worker who is a grocery still grocery store worker who's constantly in contact with the public or who's even i've even seen this problem come up with um higher wage jobs as well like doctors um you know nurses Uh, delivery drivers anybody who's an essential worker who's working with the public right now um, is at a higher risk of contracting COVID-19 unfortunately so what do you do when you have that situation in one household in the other household you have somebody who's able to work from home for example Mm -hmm. and they don't want the child to be going back and forth between the two households and what do you do if in addition to that scenario the person who's able to stay home maybe they have a pre-existing condition maybe they just survived cancer or something like that and so they also have some, like, real serious health um, considerations. And it's not just about them being malicious, but it's them being genuinely terrified for their life. But you also have an essential worker who is genuinely terrified to be without their child right now and is, like, worried about their own health and worried about not seeing their kid in such a, you know, really traumatic moment. They want to be with their kid. They want to have that that's that's that family connection so these are really really hard questions like really hard questions um and i feel really privileged to be at the clinic and grappling with these problems with my clients um So I think that has been really valuable and and difficult to deal with those questions. Um, The housing law practice that does eviction defense has Mm -hmm. been quiet for the moment because they really lobbied hard and got some good protections for renters. Mm -hmm. That's all about explode at some point soon because, you know, people are... (laughs) These renter protections are only going to last for so long. At some point, the states are going to be like, oh, you got to pay rent. Um, And then the courts are going to... It's just going to be this huge landslide of people who, you know, every Thursday used to have like 30 people going in front of the court, sorry, 300 people going in front of the court for evictions. How many Thursdays have passed by where the, all those three people were not going in front of the judge? Now all of them are going to show up in front of the judge. Like it's going to be a landslide of eviction hearings that are going to be happening. Um, so that that's coming up soon. Yeah. Um, You have unemployment benefits. Same sort of deal as with housing. Um, There was a really big, um, there was a huge expansion of who can qualify for unemployment and how much money you get. That's also starting to reach its limit. All of a sudden, you know, these programs are like, we can't really afford to keep doing this for too long. So now, you know, that that's an area that needs more attorneys. Uh, there's also a, a need for people who lost their jobs just before the state of emergency and COVID 19 really kicked off, who don't qualify for a lot of those expanded programs and, and additional relief, um, who also need attorneys to help them get those benefits. So, there is like a huge need for attorneys right now. Um, you know, it's, so even though if you do end up working as an attorney during this time, or as a law student, who has attorney privileges to some extent during this time, you will be working remotely, most likely, but you will have a lot to do.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, adding on, guy, I think you hit almost everything. I think there's just a couple, couple of areas missing, which is if you're interested in immigration, similar issues apply, right? What does it mean to be, in a, to, to be detained at a detention center right now when there's a global pandemic? What does it mean to be um, removed and deported from this country right during a global pandemic as you're traveling across country lines. Similarly, in the criminal legal system, what does it mean to be in prison right now um, when there are outbreaks happening left and right? What does it mean for your due process concerns if courts are shut down or they're going virtual or the backlog is rising? So there's a number of different legal issues everywhere. Um, I. Wish that we had been granted diploma privilege so that those folks that are graduating law school now could um, could help, right? We, we can't. We're going to be sort of, there's going to be a lag between when we can't graduate and when we enter the legal profession, which sucks. But
2: there is um, there is a lot of work to do, Erika, as you mentioned yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Donna, for bringing up immigration. Also, um, just incarceration in general. There are so many people who are trying to get as many petitions filed as possible to get people released, um, for COVID-19 considerations. And, um, I have just seen so many, uh, projects being advertised looking for law students or recently grad, recent graduates, young attorneys, whatever, just to get really into just churning out these petitions, um, for every single incarcerated person that they, that they can.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's there's so much, even even at Harvard, right? Weren't there two, um, wasn't there a case, or I don't know what happened with that case with the three students that were being like advocating, right? For that, do you remember that, that oh, case? There? Are we talking yeah.
2: about the three students who were going through in the administrative board process? they were being threatened with being yeah. expelled. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that is um, not directly, not related to COVID-19. Um, for a while, Harvard has been part of this um, Harvard Prison Divestment Campaign, which is trying to get Harvard to divest its billions and billions of dollars um, out of caging um, people, um, immigration, detention, and also mass incarceration. Um, and three students had done an action Earlier this year, the university decided to pursue them uh, for disciplinary action. And then despite COVID-19, mm-hmm. despite um, all of these crazy things happening in our lives, continue to investigate them, continue to try to expel them, um, to, to threaten them, to make their lives really miserable, as, as miserable as they possibly could. And these are three students who were some of like the most active you know, just like brilliant members of the Harvard Law School community who adhered to the protest guidelines. I mean, literally mm-hmm. the school was just attacking against them for no good reason. Um, so it was pretty horrible. But that isn't as much related with COVID-19 as, um, but it is related in that despite this global pandemic that was going on, Harvard was still trying to kick these students out. Out of all the things they could have been worried about, they were worried about this, which was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that's that case is still pending, right? Upon everything else that is going on, there's, they're still doing that. They're still um, putting pressure on the students to using the, their diploma right over their heads. Yeah. Gosh. Well, um, I guess something else that was uh, left pending from our conversation last time was about um, how things don't change. Because people are invested in keeping their lifestyles, so we're talking about, you know, Harvard Law School hasn't prepared you to, do, to handle a lot of things, but it's also um, left upon the people to, you know, once you apply to law school, you're expressing all the all these things that you want to do, all these changes that you want to do in the world, but then end up working for big pharma corporations, etc. So there's like some sort of contradiction right there. And maybe you can both briefly touch on it. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think last time we might've talked a
3: little bit about um, what Harvard calls the early interview program. A lot Mm -hmm. of big schools have this program. Um, So for those listening, I can explain a little bit of what it is. Essentially after your first year of law school, at some point, you know, the summer after or early fall after Um, They just bring a bunch of employers, you know, usually to your school or at some location near your school at Harvard. It's at the Charles Hotel in Harvard Square. And they just bring hundreds of employers um, so that you can get, you know, an internship after your second year of law school very easily. Right. You would get it within a few weeks of this interview process. um, And that often leads to then your full time. Job um, upon graduation of law school. Now I'll, I'm giving you this information. Obviously, it has changed with COVID nineteen. I'm not really privy to the changes since I'm not going through the interviewing program um, anymore.
2: Doing it, doing it next winter instead over uh, j term.
3: Okay, cool. So, um, so okay, you know, instead of this being summer or fall, pushed back a few months. But basically, all of these employers are in the private sector. They are. Um, essentially big law firms, maybe some mid- to large size firms that are going to do, um, you know, the the work that a lot of people didn't come to law school to do. You're going to be defending big corporations. You're going to be defending big pharma. You're going to be defending the Chevrons and the Amazons of the world, right? Um, And, you know, um, it's the, I guess easiest route to a job because Harvard does pour resources into this and they're not pouring resources into connecting folks with the public interest jobs and the sort of meaningful connections that could lead to jobs that people actually want to do would like to do and would feel proud and privileged to mm-hmm. do. Um, so you know that's sort of a reality of I'm you know I can only speak for Harvard. I would assume it's a reality for a lot of big schools. Um, that are sort of feeding into these big law programs so you know you sort of you come to law school you say i want to practice immigration or i want to work in the criminal legal system or i want to do this work that's meaningful to me and i want to figure out how i can create change and reform and perhaps radical reform in these areas you go to law school your law professors don't want to talk about these radical ideas and changes that you have they will actively sort of shut it down if you try to bring it up in class a lot of first-year professors will do that they'll sort of do they'll, they'll even do the on the first day of class tell you the narrative leave your narrative at the door right i don't want to hear about your background i don't want to hear about the struggles you went through we're just going to look at the cases and the doctrine the way that you know i the professor want to look at the doctrine so um so you're not sort of engaging with it, you're not given resources to figure out how you can get jobs or internships um in these areas. And um and then, you know, you I guess incur a lot of debt in law school, as Harvard makes sure I realized a few weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um and I think folks panic. Or they're sort of told from other folks, oh man, your loan is so big, you should go to Big Law just for a few years to pay down your loan and then you can do what you want to do. And then people sort of just go through this system. I think probably the reality is a lot of people stay in the private sector, even though they thought that they were just going to do it for a couple of years. Um, And, you know, it it might be the loan, it might be to earlier points, the lifestyle, you know, I was able to afford this apartment, and I want to keep being able to afford this apartment. Um, So, you know, but I think I do think that, you know, institutions like Harvard Law School sort of facilitate that transition into this big law world rather than put support and effort into figuring out how they can get students to do what it is that they want to do. You know, I I have somewhat, I guess, maybe mixed feelings around what it means to say, hey, you know, I just want to pay down my debt as soon as possible. Hey, I want to You know i buy this i i just want a house or i just want a car which is the sort of narrative that you hear a lot of um i think it's just important for folks to realize that when you want that when you when you're doing the work to buy your house or your car um you are a lot of times actively harming and injuring um our communities that's that's the unfortunate reality and you need to I guess justify yourself why you're gonna do that harm um, in exchange for your finances and income
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I think it's just interesting how the justification happens and they like people empower and especially a lot of I'm assuming Harvard alum come from wealth and connections and privilege it's interesting how they're not willing to put themselves in a position where a lot of actual uh, people are in where they have to struggle and have to budget and have to do this like they're not willing to do that themselves but they work for these corporations that just exacerbate those conditions those the very same conditions that they don't want to go through and make it worse yeah
2: yeah i I was going to say kind of similar to what you were saying but like. The mindset for a lot of Harvard students if I need to do big law or I'll end up living in a cardboard box on the side of the street mm-hmm. because I'll be making under 100K and I can't live off of under 100K. Like, that's just, I could not even imagine a life like that, you know? So um, I, I do try, I try not to judge people who are in a situation that I am personally, I don't have to face those questions. So I know there are people at Harvard who are coming from backgrounds where um, maybe you have to financially support like a large number of people in your family. Maybe you have to pay for I, a lot of things, things that I don't have to necessarily think about because my parents were the first to go to school, and so I have a bit more of a cushion. I try not to be, you know, judgmental of people who are facing decisions that I don't have to make. But I also know that Harvard, by and is still. Who are coming for generational wealth, and who are deciding that they cannot leave that um, sense of comfort and wealth, um, and that is why they are um, picking up these big law jobs. Not because they're trying to pick themselves or their family up, mm-hmm. not because um, you know they these responsibilities, um, but that they cannot otherwise fulfill. Um, but but because they don't want to leave their their economic comfort and they cannot fathom living life with like less than 100k which is just ridiculous um so yeah i I think it's 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 a tricky it's a tricky balance for me between being judgmental and (laughs) non-judgmental i never really know where to fall on the scale (laughs) um but uh these losses definitely aren't replacing They definitely do a great job at roping people in. They have roped in so many people who you would never have suspected. So regardless of how um, badass, radical, leftist, anti-capitalist, down with the system, down with the man you are, They believe that they can rope you in and they have roped in other people who are very similar mindset to you um, successfully time after time and that will wear on you that will change you it will inevitably change your mindset it'll change your politics and it will it's just be so so be so bad for your soul Um, so yeah I don't know like People got reasons sometimes for going into these firms, and, and I'm trying not to be too judgmental, like I said, but at the same time, I do I do worry about people who go into these firms, um, which is so many of my classmates, especially my classmates of color and first-generation classmates, I just, it's such a bad environment to be in.
0: And I also find interesting how, like, uh, well, there's a bunch of conversations, like, um, online saying that this is a moment to be rad- radicalized because you're seeing all these things. I'm more on the realistic side where I'm like, well, we have, you know, we've had, the conditions have been bad just in general. And a lot of people haven't really woken up or, or given the mm-hmm. tools, or even if they have the tools, they use them to make it worse so they can have an advantage, Um and to continue to even further oppress and marginalize other folks. So I, I just don't see like a huge shift where I think it's how we said in the last conversation, it's really about all these white, powerful, privileged people. It was it's up to them to, you know, go against these systems for it to really see an end because it's not it's not a it's not gonna help us for us when we we with so little resources, or if, if we don't have that many connections or that privilege, to go against these big corporations because they will definitely squash a bunch of different movements. Just just has how they have done it for for years.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still, I'll, I'll even add one more thing to the realism point is that you know I think um, a lot of people out of law school will do their public interest job with um, with some sort of fellowship funding I uh, you know a lot of people have now had that fellowship money revoked at this point you can imagine that um, it might be even harder to get funding for your public interest job perhaps it'll be less hard right on big law firms. That can sort of like quote unquote take this economic hit if they're taking a hit at all um so those jobs might are going to be more secure they're going to be there and it's unclear how this is going to impact public interest jobs and funding for public interest jobs which isn't to say that there isn't a lot of need in the public interest right now right for all the reasons we've already said it's just a matter of like are people going to be able to get paid to do that public interest work um and are people going to keep you know giving the funds so um, it's scary for folks that especially want to go into public interest. And, you know, to our sort of earlier conversations, folks that are thinking of whether or not to go to law school right now or to defer, just sort of keep that in mind that it's unclear how public interest funding is going to get um, impacted in the
2: next few years. Um well, one thing I wanted to mention that I forgot to mention is that, you know, there's this mindset or this 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 line that gets told a lot of times at law school where you can go to work for a big firm until you pay off whatever you need to pay off, your debts, get a car, home, whatever it is. Um,
1: and then you can leave. And I just wanna say with us that Statistically speaking, that
2: is so unlikely that that does not really happen all that often because once you're in, you sort of get set in. So, um, you know, people all have their own um, places of where they're coming into it and values and whatever. So if you, if you want to do it, you come to it. Uh, but I also, I also try to not think of... Just in general in life, I'm trying to look at people who've done it before and see where they where they struggle and try to learn from that. And so I think it's important to realize that that's going to be really hard. And when if, if you do end up going into big law, just to do whatever you need to do to pay off whatever you need, um, always have an exit plan. Um, and also to Donna's point that she just made, um, I have friends who are going into big law firms right now, and even those big law firms are starting to make huge cuts. So, And it's because, it's it's for the same reason that Harvard's making cuts. Harvard has more money than, like, 27 countries or something like that. Something absurd. Like, an absurd amount of money. But they're still making cuts because they don't want to because they just love being that wealthy for the same reason why Jeff bezos is now said to be a trillionaire yet amazon workers are like making below minimum wage and not allowed to take bathroom breaks and not don't have ppe things like that like even the absurdly rich companies are still not satisfied with how wealthy they are all the time and are not going to like dig into their coffers to protect people right now mm-hmm. so even the firms i think are going to
1: take. Uh, because. yep, <laughs> to everything you both said, um it's just ridiculous um the the times that we're you know going through and also what's being exposed um I think given that the fact, given the fact that this is gonna you know take much longer than people want it to, um I think you know more people and more more of our communities are going to be affected in different ways. And I think it'll be up to, you know, lawyers like yourselves who are connected to those communities to help them out. You know, Um, Donna, um, so no pressure, but (laughs) pass that bar. (laughs) Um, And I'm excited for the both of you. Thank you, you know, so much for taking the time to join us today and for highlighting all of these issues and, and just providing us with your perspectives, because sometimes, you know, like we hear so much in the media, we hear so much in the news and it's just like bombarded. It's just like, who do we believe and who do we trust? And it's just great to hear from real people who are witnessing these things and are preparing to be, you know, like um, more empathetic and more um, helpful to our communities and in the best ways that, you know, actually meet 30. Would you, either of you, would like to say anything else before we close off?
2: Just thank you so much, Ariana and Patricia, for having us on and for doing this little redo session. It's been so nice to, to talk to you guys and to get to know you, both, Patricia. Um, Ariana, I already know Ariana, but it's always <laughs> good to get to know you better. Um, but yeah, this, this has been really great. And what a great group of women!
3: Yeah, thank you both. And thank you, Erika, for also being on. I mean, this was a really nice, <laughs> nice break from studying for the mm-hmm. bar. <laughs> I've been studying all day and I have to go back to studying. Um, this was really nice to sort of like remember why, you mm-hmm. know, sort of put put myself through the three years of hell that was law school. And then now putting myself through the next few months leading up to the bar exam right it's it's for this community it's for all of the mm-hmm. issues that we've talked about across the last two segments and um so thank you very much for having both of us
2: <laughs> to say how much i love donna
3: who's graduating mm-hmm.
2: now almost graduated uh, okay, i just want to say there are so few um Latinas in the legal profession, I think it's something like 4% or something like that. Um, And Donna has just been such a big inspiration and role model to me. Um, So I am just so happy and so proud of her for for doing everything that she does. And she's really just... She has such a good balance of like not caring at all about law school but also just killing it. Like <laughs> she's doing everything so well. <laughs> but yeah. also she just doesn't care. So it's just very it's a balance of strikes. Domina strikes us so well.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank so you very much, Amiga. I mean it's nice to know that as I leave you're unfortunately sorry, you're gonna be there for another year, but <laughs> I sort of leave leave harvard in in good hands and i know that you're gonna continue Mm -hmm. to always fight for what's right and um continue to call out harvard for all the really fucked up stuff that it does yeah and thank
0: you and thank you both so much um i think from this conversation is just knowing that all of us we actually have more choices than we think And that Mm -hmm. if we all come together and and really make time to, I mean, I think this is the reason why Ariana and I made this podcast in the first place, was to really connect with really great, amazing Mm -hmm. people, to realize that don't follow all the rules, uh, because the rules aren't really set up to make you a great (laughs) critical thinker. Um, It's really there to put the system still in place, and that Mm -hmm. if we all come together and dedicate some time to be with each other, I think we can do really amazing things. (laughs)
1: yeah exactly <laughs> well thank you both it's been a i really have enjoyed our conversations i hope this is not the last time please let's stay connected and let us know how we can support you all and good luck with everything and stay safe okay bye, bye. you too thank you both bye Bye.
0: For our POC business shout out goes to Letter Shop, um, spelled letter L E T T E R, shop S H O P P E. Um, it's art by Dina Rodriguez. Uh, she describes her illustrations as art from a queer fat stoner babe. You can shop size inclusive apparel and posters. Uh, Dina also is a podcast host of Women of Illustration. She has a great uh, TikTok and Patreon account. Um, That includes resources to learn how to sell art as an artist or if you're considering starting um, or upgrading your business. All the details of uh, this
1: business will be in the caption of our episode. For all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC, business, conference, and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at Chicana CodeSwitchers and on Twitter at XCodeSwitchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or cash app us at Chicana Code Switchers, and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you, and don't forget, switch the code. Don't let the code switch you.